we're presented today in our readings with two great spiritual realities, martyrdom on the one hand and resurrection on the other. And I think these are both sort of crucial concepts, especially understood together. Because martyrdom changes our view of life and what it's about. And I think resurrection changes our view of death and what it means. I, I don't think many people really think about martyrdom much as sort of like a goal of life. I mean, the church has lots of feasts of martyrs and that sort of thing. And of course, we remember you know, the death of Jesus on the cross and Good Friday. Um, but I don't think it's a, it's a common aspiration. I mean, did anybody here growing up, show of hands, think I'd like to be a martyr? Got one. Wow. I'm surprised we had that many. I did not, by the way. I was just, the hand was just for demonstration. Um, what about president? Anybody want to be president here? That's it? What did you people want to be when you grew up? Astronaut? Priest. Priest. <laughs> um, that was not one of my aspirations either. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always work out. But it, it seems sort of weird to think that as an ideal of life, you know, what, I, what do you want to be when you grow up? Martyr. What? It's like you're going to die anyway. What's the rush? You know? But of course, the, the idea of, of the martyr, the importance of the martyr is not that they die, because that's true of everybody, good and evil, you know, tall, short, sometimes young, sometimes old. You know, we don't know. Um, but death is, death is coming for us all. So, you know, why martyrdom? Well, of course, the, the importance of it is that someone gives their whole self, everything that they have, their whole life, as a witness to the gospel. Then when confronted with a choice between denying the truth and uh, dying, they choose dying. And that's the remarkable thing, that someone believes what they say enough that they're willing to give everything for that. And in the history of the church, the martyrs are held up as these sort of exemplary figures, exemplary Christians. Even today in the church's um, uh, rules about you know, the canonization of saints, you know, to be a saint, typically you need two miracles, uh, unless you're a martyr, in which case you only need one. Because to spend your life, to end your life giving yourself entirely to God is taken as a pretty good sign that you've made it in and of itself. And I think, actually, it, it's not something that I've often, I'll confess, I've not often had the thought of my own life to pray to be a martyr, to aspire to be a martyr, to serve God totally, yes, to be a saint, sure, but a martyr. But I think it's actually an important aspiration and one that's sort of deeply woven into Christian history. If you, if you go back 500 years, you know, and you, you asked a bunch of little Catholic kids, you know, how many of you think it would be cool to be a martyr? You probably have a, a, fair, a fair number of respondents saying, yeah, that would, that would be awesome, you know? They're really tough. They're cool. And I think it's especially important in, in our own day and age to, to aspire to that, to ask God for that because, that, because it changes the rest of life. So if you ask for it, the chances that you'll get it, small, statistically speaking. 
But to ask for it is something that changes everything else in life, changes your view of what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to have a life worth living, to have accomplished something with your life? You know, if you think martyrdom is, is a good way to go, that's going to re... It's going to change the value of a whole bunch of other things. And I think including of, of death, which is something we don't, we don't want to face. And so martyrdom changes the, view, the value of suffering as well. I was listening to an uh, audio book recently. It was uh, actually one of the great courses for, or from the, the great teaching company or whatever it is. Um, and so it's like this the college course series uh, about 26 hours of lecture on cognitive behavioral therapy. And I thought this might be interesting, could learn something, and I did. And it's taught by this uh, expert in not just cognitive behavioral therapy, but in, in teaching. And, and part of the course is that he includes actual audio clips from sessions he has with real people, showing you what, what is his method, what does he do. And in one of the sessions, he was talking to this somewhat elderly woman who was taking care of her uh, sick husband who was um, uh, bedridden. And you know, she was very anxious about this and always worrying about him and you know, had a lot go to, sort of going on, in addition to just the normal um, burden and difficulty of, of taking care of someone um, who's sick in bed all the time. And so she, she asked for help. And so one of the things he does is he, he goes through a scale of values. Like, well, how much do you value this? How much do you value that? And one thing he asked is, how much do you value health? And given her situation, you think she'd value it pretty highly. You know, it's, her husband's lack of health really affects her life. And she put it at a five, which is the highest value. And she said on the tape, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And while you could understand why a lack of health would be a great trial and a, and a great burden. Um, it's, not, it's not Christian to say, well, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Because this is an example of, I think, where a different sort of martyr can come in and, and show you, well, that's, that's not quite right. Think of two women um, who both lived about 100, 115 years ago, uh, who are now saints, Elizabeth of the Trinity and Therese of Lisieux. Both Carmelite nuns, both entered the convent very early in life. Both died very young, before they were like 27 years old. Um, you know, both are famous for some of their writings, but they didn't write a lot. And at the end of their lives, both of them had these horrible, horrible diseases that they uh, experienced. Um, Therese of Lisieux had tuberculosis, and Elizabeth of the Trinity had Addison's disease, which uh, affects the adrenal glands. And basically, you kind of like waste away and starve to death. Um, both of them just sort of horrible ways to go. And the reason that these two women are considered such great saints is because of the love with which they embraced that time of suffering, of offering their life to God as a sacrifice for the church, for the, the salvation of the world. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy and it wasn't pretty. And in fact, probably worse than most of the, they had it worse than most of the martyrs in history. You know, if you're a Thomas More and you get your head chopped off, well, that's pretty, pretty quick and easy, you know. Um, so in a lot of cases, martyrdom is, well, it's, it's, it's not as bad as what these women went through. I think it was St. John Chrysostom who said, 
A martyr only has to die once, but a confessor, someone who confesses the faith, has to die a thousand times a day. And so I think just valuing the martyrs helps us appreciate even more what these two women went through and the value of what suffering means in our own lives. But I think to value martyrdom, the way that that can go wrong is it can, I think it can turn into sort of an obsession with death or throwing away of life if we don't also keep in view what? The resurrection. It's the other big thing that comes up in our readings today. Jesus is questioned on it by the Sadducees who don't believe in it, and he gives this reply. The just can no longer die for they are like angels, and they are the children of God because they are the ones who will rise. And I think to also have a faith and belief, not just in the goodness of martyrdom, but in resurrection, is the other thing that changes life. Because it changes how you love someone right now, today, if you think death is the end. We'll never see them again. We'll never be together. We just got to soak up what we can right now because this is it. So without the resurrection, that changes how you love today. But when you have the resurrection in mind, see that, you know, death's not the end. That there is hope that we can be together forever. You know, that life is eternal and love is immortal. And so it changes things. It allows us to love more freely as Jesus loved. And this has a really practical effect. I remember probably about, about 13 years ago now, I was talking to a middle-aged woman, um, and we were talking about sort of like these subjects, actually, you know, uh, martyrdom, denying God, that sort of thing. And she told me that she, you know, she had two sons. And in a way, she lost both of them. One of them was in jail, and the other one had actually died. And she told me tearfully, you know, she's like, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. But I would deny God to have my son back. I would deny God to have my son back. And in a sense, it's understandable that for a mother who would want nothing more in life than to have her children with her. But the, the irony of that statement is that in doing that, that's, in a sense, the only way that she could actually lose her kids, is to have them separate from God, as opposed to having them in the love of God and entrusting him and allowing him to be the life for her and her children. And that's the thing, that oftentimes, you know, Jesus says, he who will save... See, so he who tries to save his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And it can seem kind of, you know, mystical or whatever, but it's very practical. It's very practical because Jesus knows that the resurrection is coming as a real, physical, historical reality. And he knows that those who keep trying to save the, the few years that they have here on earth and give up everything else, including their love of God for that, are really losing everything in doing so. 
So it's very practical to have the resurrection in mind, and it changes everything we do. So what do we do with this? If we, if we value martyrdom, if we value resurrection, if we believe that it's coming, what do we do with it? Well, I want to read for you a bit of the end of the, the story from 2 Maccabees, which is one of my favorite stories. Macca- 2 Maccabees chapter 7, about the, the righteous woman and her, her seven sons. And it's actually not over, so we heard about the death of four of them. Actually, all seven get it uh, in the story. And so here's how, here's how it continues. Most admirable and worthy of everlasting remembrance was the mother, who seeing her seven sons perish in a single day, bore it courageously because of her hope in the Lord. Filled with a noble spirit that stirred her womanly reason with manly emotion, she exhorted each of them in the language of their ancestors with these words. I do not know how you came to be in my womb. It was not I that gave you the breath of life, nor was it I who arranged the elements you are made of. Therefore, since it is the creator of the universe who shaped the beginning of humankind and brought about the origin of everything, he, in his mercy, will give you back both breath and life because you now disregard yourselves for the sake of his law. What an incredible thing to hear from from a mother faced with her own death and the death of her children and how the resurrection changed her life and how she got to keep her sons forever because she believed in the resurrection. And I think what it points for us today too is to think about that in our life in terms of what, what really matters is one, our own salvation, which means loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength, and the salvation of our neighbor, which means what? To love our neighbor as ourselves. To see their salvation as part of our own happiness, part of the goal of our life. And who that is for you, I don't know. We all know different people. We have different relationships. So I want to leave you with a question to ponder. I want you to close your eyes. If I can see your eyes, you're not closed. I want you to, in prayer, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, who is it in my life that you want me to help get to know you?